Hello. Hello. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Kim. Welcome to today's episode of Massive Fans Book Club podcast, where we will be covering chapters 20 through 27 of A Court of Mist and Fury by Sarah J. Mass. This episode will have you contemplating the harder questions in life, like who are you more afraid of, the weaver or Nesta? <laughs> Tell us which one you're more afraid of. I don't know, Kelsey, who are you? I'm, I'm not sure. Probably... Oh. I'm pretty probably af- Nesta. I would say I'm pretty afraid of the Weaver. Gotta be honest, she sounds horrendous, and at the very actually least, she, she does. Smells. <laughs> well, that and because of what I know about her in the next going forward, so yeah, the Weaver, she she wins hands down. But Nesta's pretty damn scary. <laughs> She's horrifying. Um, as a reminder. This podcast isn't meant for little ears. Though we try to keep it PG, it almost always goes into PG-13 territory. And depending on how mad we get at Tamlin that day, the F-bomb does get us an R rating. It happens. That being said, Kelsey, where were we? Ah, uh, yes. um, The Weaver. The Weaver. <laughs> so, let's see. Uh, we ended last episode being like, hey, we're going to go to the Weaver. And now here we are in chapter 20, going to the Weaver. <laughs> so Reese winnows Feyre to some wooded area with gnarled like beech trees and just general eeriness. And like us, she's like, where this? And he says, in the heart of Prithian, there is a large empty territory that divides the north and south. At the center of it is our sacred mountain. This forest is on the eastern edge of that neutral territory. Here, there is no high lord. Here, the law is made by who is strongest, meanest, most cunning. And the weaver of the wood is at the top of their food chain. All right, well, that's like a little more intense than Farah or I were bargaining for, I think. Um, because she's like, so Amarantha didn't wipe it out? And he's like, she's no fool. Okay. So she rightfully points out, <laughs> and now we're disturbing her for a mere test. And like, yeah, apparently we are. What the hell? <laughs> and we learned that apparently Cassian tried to convince Reese not to take Farah to the Weaver, which he alludes to because, okay, this logic sucks. <laughs> he alludes to the reason Cassian not wanting Farah to go to the Weaver is because Cassian wants to fuck her which like cracks me up <laughs> because I just feel like there is zero indication of that being the case. <laughs> I mean, I could be wrong, but anyway, like, I don't think you're wrong. So yeah, I, I just know. feel like there's no indication of that. I feel like Cassian is just like, yeah, I like Pharaoh. She's fine. <laughs> like, I don't think he was like, oh yeah, really got to bang this rando, but I, you know, what do I know? Um, and the favorite calls Reese a pig because, you know, if it oinks. And uh, he's all, well, you could, you know, I don't mind. Meaning she could sleep with Cassian. And it's just like super, super awkward. <laughs> but Farrah takes it like the badass she is and says, then tell him to come to my room tonight. And Reese is like, if you survive. And they just banter like this back and forth. 
and she goes to jump off. Okay, so now it's like, I don't really understand. Apparently these woods are intense because apparently she goes like, jump off this stone. Why? I don't know. Apparently we're on a stone. And she goes to jump off and he grabs her by the chin real quick and says out of nowhere, like we've just been talking about Cassian and the weaver. And then he just grabs her by the chin and says, did you enjoy the sight of me kneeling before you? And while, yes, Reese, we all did, <laughs> she realizes while looking at the smirk on his face that they are playing a game. And she says, a dangerous line. One Reese was forcing me to walk to keep me from thinking about what I was about to face, about what a wreck I was inside. Anger, this flirtation, annoyance, he knew those were my crutches. I'm like, dang, yes, yes he does. And yes, those are your crutches. And personally, as a reader, I'm enjoying every second of it, but it still came out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, we do enjoy that, don't we? I mean, we enjoy it, but we also can admit that these are non-sequiturs. <laughs> like, <laughs> these things do not go together. But anyway, it's fine. So they're doing this flirty thing. And eventually, we make it to a little cottage in the woods, half-crumbling, Apparently it's ordinary, mortal even, she calls it. And from inside, we can hear a faint humming. You know, because if it wasn't creepy enough, let's add humming. <laughs> and Fair is looking over the situation when, quote, Reese inclined his head towards the cottage, bowing with dramatic grace. In, out, don't make a sound. Find whatever object it was and snatch it from beneath a blind person's nose and then run like hell. And like, yep, mm -hmm, that's what we're doing. That's the plan. That's, that's all we got. And so apparently with a twinkle in his eye, Reese silently bids her good luck. And she heads towards the cottage, suddenly realizing that um, similar to everything she ever did in book one, she has not asked nearly enough questions. Yeah. Well, um, no, she really hasn't, has she? Yeah, because suddenly as she's making her way towards the cottage that she's like, hmm, I didn't ask him if he'd interfere if I were in mortal peril. Uh, yeah, probably would have been good to know. Yeah, but on her way in, we get this really interesting internal monologue from her where she says, I avoided any leaves and stones falling into a pattern of movement that some part of my body, some part that was not born of the High Lords remembered. Like waking up, that's what it felt like. And correct me if I'm wrong, Kim, but I think basically she's recalling her hunting reflexes now. A little, yeah. Yeah, which I think is pretty cool. Because it is. It's very cool. Because, like, I think, okay, so I think it's kind of funny because, like, think about all those times where she, like, thought she was slick. <laughs> and, like, now she is slick. <laughs> well, now she has that face stealth going for her. That's what I mean. Like, now she actually can pull it off. So, like, I want to see her pull it off. <laughs> anyway, her monologue continues, and we get another interesting tidbit that I just love. She says, I was not prey any longer. I decided as I eased up to that door, and I was not a mouse. I was a wolf. And I'm like, you go, girl. You, you get your power back. <laughs> yep. So, uh, without going into too much detail, because you can read it for yourself, Favorite eases the door open to the cottage silently. No squeaky hinges here, thank God. And she enters a large main room with walls that are lined with shelves, and those shelves are lined with random shit. And 
somewhere amongst this hoarder house, she is supposed to find the item that she's trying to retrieve for Reese, but she doesn't know what or, you know, where. So, like, that's just PG. And Favorite does spot the weaver, who, from her view, now appears to be a halfway attractive woman. Like, she's described as, like, young-bodied, skinny, with black mm-hmm. hair. And she's feeding fiber into a spinning wheel, but it's not wool. It's something else gross that Fair doesn't focus on. Thank God. <laughs> she'd probably, yeah. Yeah, she'd probably lose it. We'd all be gagging. <laughs> but we've complained before that Feyre's mind tends to wander during dangerous situations. And this time is no different. Nope. While I personally would be trying to get in and out as fast as possible, we seem to just be standing here observing the weaver for longer than we need to. Yep. But what do I know? As the parent of a child who has it, she has it. Yeah, she has to because her she's she's supposed to be like trying to keep herself alive, complete a task. But now her mind wanders to like maybe this is a fool's errand, and maybe I what you know maybe I should think about Tamlin right now. <laughs> like what? So the quote we get is, and maybe I resented Tamlin enough in that moment to enjoy that deadly bit of flirtation, like with Reese. She means. Maybe I was as much a monster as the female spinning before me, which I call bullshit on, but whatever. The rest of the monologue is interesting. If I was a monster, then I suppose Reese was as well. Reese and I were one in the same, beyond the power that he'd given me. It'd be fitting if Tamlin hated me too, once he realized I truly left. Which is like fascinating. But then the universe realizes that, you know, as great as this whole affair coming to terms with her feelings thing is, uh, this ain't the time. <laughs> and she suddenly feels a draw, almost like a tap on the shoulder. And she can sense that whatever the item is, it's nearby. I followed that oh, pulse God. towards the shelf lining the wall beside the hearth. Nothing. And nothing on the second, but the third, right above my eye line, there. I could almost smell his salt and citrus scent. The bone carver had been correct. And she looked at the items on the shelf and settles on, quote, a ring of twisted strands of gold and silver flecked with pearl and set with a stone of deepest solid blue sapphire. But different. I'd never seen a sapphire like that, even at my father's office. This one, I could have sworn that in the pale light, the lines of a six-pointed star radiated across the round, opaque surface. Reese. This had Reese written all over it. <laughs> so she she plucks that ring up <laughs> and it sounds a beautiful. <laughs> and she stashes it in her pocket. And then for self-sabotaging reasons, she gets annoyed at Reese for a second and was thinking about how she might just stab him when she sees him. But that makes her thoughts spiral. I mean, like you said, it's the 80s. Like, just get out of there. You have the ring. Leave. But instead, we stand here and we basically cause ourselves a panic attack. <laughs> so no, she, she really doesn't. If she stayed focused, it, I don't think it would be as bad. But because she gets so lost in her head, yes. she, she kind of causes herself more of an issue. Yeah, she spirals. She's like, oh, he's so annoying. I might just stab him when I see him. And then she's like, stabbing, 
stabbing blood, a now memory of blood on my hands after stabbing the two fairies. And she's like, if I did stab Reese, he'd be in pain and there'd be blood dribbling from him. And it's just like, stop thinking. <laughs> uh, but she thankfully like does stop thinking. But she's like, I guess I should stop thinking about this. Yes, yes, you should. And I think this is really like where the failure started because during our little panic moment, instead of, you know, leaving, the weaver has stopped singing. <laughs> Whoops. That's all I gotta say to that. Whoops. And because even though other chapters could end in like a hundred places and don't, this one, because I guess Sarah J. Mass and her publisher like to make her head spin, ends here. Oops. <laughs> so, um, that, that is what it is. <laughs> Is gonna dive right into 21. So, 21. Yeah, just diving right in. Splish splash. Um, <laughs> Feyre is frozen in place, hoping that the weaver will start singing again. You know, like maybe she's just finished her song. Um, that does seem to be the case because the weaver does start singing again, but slower and like sort of distracted like. Feyre yeah. finally realizes standing here is probably a shit plan. And apparently, like, running like hell doesn't come to mind, because instead, she's like, ten steps from the door, then five, then two. And then the weaver stops spinning her wheel and magics the door shut. Ooh. Who is in my house? Well, now we know Favor is fucked. Just a bit. Just a wee bit. A wee bit. bit. Fear, undiluted, unbroken fear slammed into me. And I remembered. I remembered what it was like to be human and helpless and weak. I remembered what it was to want to fight, to live, to be willing to do anything, to stay breathing. And again, like, that's great, Farah. I'm glad you're having a breakthrough, but get the hell out of there. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Farah, oh, you yeah. know. Yeah, I don't... I don't know what we're doing. Farrah can now see the weaver's face, and this lady isn't super pretty like she thought. Nope, she's got gray, wrinkly skin, big sunken black holes for eyeballs, and messed up teeth from mashing bones, apparently. So, so cool, cool. Like, this is about to go well. Uh, luckily, Farrah's senses kick in, and she's all, I don't want to be eaten. And that's something. Hey, you know? And she lunges Something for a candle that she sees burning on the table, and she throws it against the tapestry on the wall. This tapestry is not a thread, but uh, some human or fairy stuff. We're not going to worry like about visual. <laughs> yeah, let's go with animal. That'd be nice. Uh, no, I think it's human or fairy bits. And <laughs> we're... Yeah, we're just gonna shoosh. We're just not gonna worry about visualizing that too much, okay, friends? So, nope. yeah, ew, big ew. This is why I said oh. she must smell. Yeah. Don't you think that the weaver has to be stinky? <laughs> well, the fact that, okay, so I I kind of struggle with this. Like, I didn't the first time, or even the second time I read it, but, you know, I've been through the stories enough, so this is where I struggle. Okay. Faye had this heightened sense of smell, yes? Yeah, well, apparently. Among other senses. To. How is it 
is she just that focused and not paying attention or what that she didn't pick up on the scent in the cottage prayer I don't know I don't know why her nose only works when she wants to smell Reese <laughs> you know I mean like that's the part <laughs> I don't know why her nose only smells citrus okay I just, I, I know, I shouldn't ask stupid questions. And that one time, time we found out that Tamlin smells like grass and dirt. <laughs> and that was supposed to be a compliment. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. <laughs> okay, well, you and me both. So I'm just saying this Weaver's ugly and she probably smells and she has a tapestry of ick. And uh, Farrah decides to throw the candle at the what I'm calling a flesh quilt, and it go, goes up in <laughs> flesh quilt. I'm sorry, I couldn't even get through that sentence because as soon as I said it, Kim's face killed me. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, guys, I had heard her say that one before. Ooh. Calling it a flesh quilt, and it uh, goes up in flames, which now we know it stinks. And the weaver instinctively runs over to it, all like, my precious! And that gets favor a few times. <laughs> Sorry, apparently I'm killing Kim today. <laughs> um, I would love to tell you it's because we're drunk, but we're just tired. Uh, <laughs> tired and slap-happy people. No alcohol involved. None. But Farah gains a few seconds thanks to this plan. And she decides to climb the fireplace and the chimney, and she's hoping to, like, shimmy up and out, basically. And while she starts to climb, her thought pattern is fascinating to me, because, again, she works through some trauma here. I'd become so weak, so malnourished. I had let them make me weak, bent to it like some wild horse broken to the bit. She is pissed, because honestly, she's realizing that she was more in shape fighting the worm when she was a human. Yep. A stupid Tamlin in the spring court broke her, and now she's struggling despite literal immortal powers. Yeah, I'd be pissed too. I'd be fucking hot as shit. But we can only do so much healing at the same time as escaping because the weaver is catching up now and is climbing like right behind her. And suddenly, Feyre yeah. is stuck in this like weird spot. And she can't do anything about it. And she literally starts thinking, like, this is the end. I'm going to die here. Yeah. And she starts to have a panic attack. But then ju she just starts telling herself that basically she doesn't want to go out like this. And she loses it. And she starts kicking the bricks. Like, no, 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 not today, Satan style. And the bricks are shifting a little bit. Because, you know, she's got immortal strength, even if she doesn't feel like it. And then she hears in her a voice in her head. Stop. And, like, at first, you think it's going to be Reese, like, in book one, but it isn't. It's her own voice. Our homegirl wants to live. For, like, the first time in this whole book. <laughs> really and truly wants to live. And she talks herself out of her panic, and she's like, stop, breathe, think. And she realizes the thing I said about the bricks, about how she's like slant, like she's kicking them and they're coming loose. And she slams her hand against the chimney. And like she does this right below where she is. And she, the bricks start to cause like debris to fall and rain down on the weaver. And like 
I'm always a little worried when her internal monologue takes over during a time of crisis. <laughs> like, shouldn't we be focusing? But, um, but this one's good. I was not a pet, not a doll, not an animal. I was a survivor and I was strong. I would not be weak or helpless again. I would not, could not be broken, tamed. And she hits the bricks, eventually dislodging one that she hurls at the weaver's face. And like, side note, I forgot before rereading this how much I love this section of the book. <laughs> it is a good but section. It is. Like, I truly forgot, like, how much she grows in these two chapters. Because, like, in my head, I'd be like, you know, yeah, yeah, the weaver. But I forgot that we decide to, you know, have big old mental breakthroughs during our weaver fighting. Anyway, Feyre keeps climbing, and she reaches the top, and she hauls herself up and out onto the roof that uh, is, by the way, thatched with hair and fat. Don't think about it if you want to keep your food in your stomach. And she starts tumbling and running on the roof, but the weaver comes running outside, so instead of jumping down onto the ground, she thinks fast and jumps into a tree and starts literally running through the trees, which is really cool and will look really cool on TV, assuming we use better technology for this scene than the tree running we saw in Twilight. Well, you know. As long as we have better CGI than that, we will all be good with this scene. So she's running like hell through the trees, and the weaver is blindly yelling and running below. And Feyre is wondering, like all of us, where the fuck is Reese? <laughs> well, you know, Zoffy Reese. Uh, and then, lounging on a branch in a tree before me, one arm draped over the edge, Reese and drawled, What the hell did you do? <laughs> and she. <laughs> She's basically like, you asshole, but, uh, you know, all she gets out is you, <laughs> and then he puts a finger to his lips to shush her before wrapping his arm around her and winnowing them out of there. But before we can move on, sidebar, <laughs> I'm really obsessed for no good reason <laughs> about how we get descriptions of people winnowing and, like, flying people out of there. And I just enjoy the visualization because, like, okay, like, I, like, let's, Kim and I have talked about this. I enjoy the visualization because it's, like, totally, very, like, it totally varies and depends on who is doing the winnowing and the flying. Absolutely. So, like, <laughs> usually we've seen Reese just, like, hold her hand or hold her arm and winnow with her. Or maybe, like, side hug style. And, like, you know, it's just, like, that's what we know so far, and, like, later, when he has to fly other people, it'll be other hilarious descriptions, trust me, um, but this time, we get this description. He raised a finger to his lips and went to me, grabbing my waist with, like, okay, think this one out, people, because my brain had a hard time with this. <laughs> he went to me, grabbing my waist with one hand and cupping the back of my neck with the other, as he spirited us away to Valaris, to just above the House of Wind. We free fell, and I didn't have breath to scream as his wings appeared, spreading wide, and he curved us into a steady glide right through the open window. Okay, so, like, what's my point? My point is, is, like, usually we winnow by, like, holding hands or some shit, but now, now, now what? <laughs> that doesn't sound like a very good hold to me. <laughs> like, He's got one hand be 
behind her waist and one behind her neck, which means he has to be crushing her into his chest, man. Like, what else is there? He can't just, like, lightly float his hands behind her. He'd have to be crushing her. So, but here's my thing. Even if he does it that way, I almost, I, I feel like there's ulterior motive in him doing that. Right. That's, like, kind of my point. <laughs> my point is, is there are a lot more efficient ways to win a but, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe she's still freaked out enough that he's trying to do it because he wants to calm her down. I don't know. I mean... Maybe. I, I, I didn't think of it that way. That's possible. I don't hmm. think so, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like literally, like, anything would make more sense than, like, this weird winnowing above the house so that he can be like, see, I didn't drop you like and show off his flying well, actually, skills. Though, I think I think actually he might have grabbed her that way because as soon as he left, he was going to the house of wind. And and I did think that. Like obviously he knew he couldn't, I guess he can't winnow in. So he knew he had to right. winnow above the house. But again, there just has to be better ways to grab a person than like, I'ma just crush you vertical style <laughs> and fly like this. Like, I don't know. I just feel like I don't understand the physics of how this flying thing works, but I I don't I digress. <laughs> It's just, every time I read one of these descriptions, I find it really fascinating to compare to, like, the other descriptions we get. Because keep this whole hand waist, hand behind her neck visual in your head, because we hear it again multiple times. Like, this, to my, yeah. if, if I recall correctly, this becomes his, like, like go-to way <laughs> of winnowing with her. And I just feel like it's super inefficient. <laughs> like I said, I mean, I just think an excuse, I think it's an excuse to just like hold her really tight. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Anywho's it. Uh, we're home, crashing through the open window and all. And Amrin and Cassian are in the room when they enter, and they're just kind of like, wow. <laughs> WTF? Yeah, huh. Okay, welcome home. And Farah, looking a disaster <laughs> and smelling worse, is greeted by Amron with one of my favorite lines ever. You smell like barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> I love Amron. I do too. That is awesome. That's just awesome. And Cassian, looking her over, asks a fair question. Did, did you kill her? <laughs> but Reese answers before she can, no, but given how much the weaver was screaming, I'm dying to know what Farah Darling did. <laughs> <laughs> and then with the smell being too much, she's finally decided, she, yeah, this shit did stink. <laughs> um, she pukes. <laughs> All over the floor. And this is only funny because then Amarin like magics the puke away. <laughs> and the goop off of her. Yes, which I appreciate. Like, thank you, Amarin. <laughs> and Farah briefly explains to Cassian what happened, and Amarin looks to Reese asking the obvious question, and where were you? 
And he explains that he was far enough away to not be detected, to which Feyre is like, yeah, and I could have used a hand, you jackass. But Reese, oh, Reese, uh, he always has a plan, and this was all part of one. So we start our foot and mouth, and he says, you survived and found a way to help yourself. And Feyre, who's probably eye-twitching by now because she's realizing that, like, setting her up to, like, have this moment was, like, all part of his plan, um, to see if she could, like, master her own panic, you know? She's probably eye-twitching. Uh, but Amber chimes in and says, brutal, but effective. <laughs> and I wouldn't blame Feyre if she wanted to slug Reese right about now. But instead, she turns to Cassian and asks him to if his offer to teach her to fight still stands. And he agrees because she says, I don't want my only option to be running. I want to know how to fight my way out. I don't want to have to wait on anyone to rescue me, which is clearly and rightfully pointed at Reese. <laughs> ding, ding. But he doesn't notice because he's looking over the ring she brought back. And he gives her the world's shortest explanation. It was my mother's ring. And she's like, more. <laughs> I deserve more details. <laughs> I almost died. Fill me uh, in. Right. And asks how he lost it. And he tells us, I didn't. My mother gave it to me as a keepsake and then took it back when I reached maturity and gave it to the weaver for safekeeping. And she's like, why? <laughs> and he says, so I wouldn't waste it. i like, I would have been totally cool with ending the chapter on a mic drop like that. You know, like, that's a fascinating response. But uh, we it don't. Is. We get a snowflake. Yeah, well. The last chapter ended, it's like, in the middle of the action. This chapter goes on for a week and a half. What Bye. we do get is Reese grabbing favor by the hand and... This is where I'm like, what I feel like I should have remembered this the from the first read, because again, like random as hell, we get a snowflake and Reese grabs Favor by the hand and hurdles the two of them out the window and has them free falling before he winnows them directly to her bedroom. And like, what? <laughs> but, you know, Reese is kind of an ass, but an ass that does understand aftercare and he has a hot bath running for her already. <laughs> He does. <laughs> Before she can get too far away from him and into the bath, he asks in regards to her agreeing to train with Cassian, and what about training your other gifts? And she kind of hilariously responds. I think you and I would shred each other to bits. Just a bit. But he's here to play too. And he says, oh, we most definitely will. Which I just think is like a fun exchange. But then he's like, no, really. <laughs> like, no, really. I think I'm going to make this whole you training your other gifts a requirement. Basically saying that if she's agreeing to stay and agreeing to train physically with Cassian, she really does need to train her powers too. Mm -hmm. And instead of like giving her a minute, he's clearly excited she hasn't killed him yet. And he's just like, let's try right now. <laughs> try to get past my shield. And she's like, I'm tired, asshole. And he's, he's like, death wish. I know, right? Like, dude does not know when to go. <laughs> he's like, it'll be fun. <laughs> it'll be fun, and, they said. 
And she looks at him and he's all eye twinkly about it. And he says, you feel it, don't you? Your power talking under your skin, purring in your ear. And she's like, so. And he says something interesting. I'm surprised Anthony didn't carve you up on an altar to see what the power looks like inside of you. Yep. All right, now she's intrigued. <laughs> she asks him why he hates Ianthe so much, and he basically says, oh, you want to know? Get inside my mind. So do, do, do. <laughs> she tries, but she can't. She's not even remotely sure how she did it before by accident. But for making a valiant effort, he takes her hand and willingly lets her into his mind. A bedroom carved from obsidian, a mammoth bed of ebony sheets large enough to accommodate wings, and on it, sprawled in nothing but her skin, lay Eanthe. Yeah. And she's basically like, oh shit, this is a memory, and also get me out of here. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame her. I don't want to see Eanthe naked. I don't either. But Reese tells her there's more and she can't leave even if she wants to. <laughs> He's got her like trapped in there. So it's she yeah so she watches this memory play out. I won't drown in the details here because you got to read it for full effect but basically she watches this memory play out in which Anthony has let herself into Reese's room and undressed and is trying to seduce him. And he asks her to leave not once, but twice. And she insi is insisting that they should be together because of the super powerful babies they could produce. Like, Ew. exactly. What? Ew. <laughs> yeah. But more than seeing this memory play out, Feyre can feel what Reese felt, and she picks up on something more. Icy wrath crept through me, him, as he debated the merits of splattering her on the walls and how much of an inconvenience it had caused. She'd hounded him relentlessly, stalked the other males too. Asriel had left last night before or because of it, and more was about one more comment away from snapping her neck. So Farrah is realizing that this isn't a one-off. Anthony has been a problem for Reese. Mm -hmm. The memory continues to play out and Anthony is trying to convince Reese that they belong together for power reasons. And Reese finally says, get out of my bed, get out of my room and get out of my court. And Yanthi slithers her way out of his bed, heading for the door, and basically tries to grab his crotch on her way out. Like, what? She's so not smart. And he uses his magic to stop her, crushing her hand, and he tells her, don't ever touch me. Don't ever touch another male in my court. Your hand will heal. The next time you touch me or anyone in my lands, you will find the rest of you will not fare so well. And the memory ends, and Feyre is suddenly back in her own mind. And kind of stunned. Well, I think I'd be kind of stunned, too. Yeah. And Reese says, rule one, don't go into someone's mind unless you hold the way, op the way out open. Which makes sense. Basically, he's like, I trapped you, and others can, too. 
And then he starts to say, and rule two, but she cuts him off asking, when was the memory from? And he tells her a hundred years ago at the court of nightmares. And Farah is just reeling because she's now realizing what you and I have been saying, Kim, which is like Lucian one lion. It's why Lucian doesn't like Ianthe. No, he hates Ianthe. Because, exactly, because likely she's pursued him. And Farah's realizing maybe he hadn't felt he had the power or social standing to deny her. Yep. And Reese chimes in with rule two. Be prepared to see things you might not like. And that's an understatement. Of the century. Farrah's brain is like melting out her ears, which is fair. Only yeah. 50 years later, Amarantha had come and done exactly to Reese what he'd wanted to kill Ianthe for. He'd let it happen to him to keep them safe, to keep Asriel and Cassian from the nightmares that would haunt him forever, from enduring any more pain than they'd already suffered as children. But before she can say anything to Reese, he's gone. And she just takes a bath contemplating everything that's just happened. And that's the end of 21, which is like a lot. <laughs> I feel like we have like a lot of feelings to deal with at the end there. <laughs> a little bit to unpack, just a little. But in fairness, like, I honestly feel like Farrah, like, I feel like Sarah J. Mass like, ended that chapter in a way that let Farrah sum up that whole memory situation in, like, the best way it could be done, which is Farrah having the realization that, like, that is exactly what happened. Reese stood up for himself against Anthe, then didn't feel like he could against Amarantha because he decided he'd rather have that happen to him than somebody else. Exactly. And, like, I just, yeah, I just think that's, like, really interesting. And I think it also proves, like, how well-adjusted Reese actually is, <laughs> mm -hmm. given all of what he's been through. Yeah. I agree. Totally. Basically, my two cents are just that I appreciate that the book addresses that, like, women aren't the only ones that can be hounded and assaulted. No, we aren't. So, Bad. yeah, there's true. There's a lot of unpack in there that, like, my brain's just not, like, really <laughs> able to do, knowing that we have so many other chapters we want to talk about. <laughs> but I just, yeah. I just think that, and I, like I said, and I don't know that there's anything that I could say that's better than the way Feyre put it at the end of the chapter, where she's like, only 50 years later, Amarantha had come. Yeah. Like, yeah, that is what happened, and that does suck. So, um, with that, Kim, uh, I think 22 is yours. 22 is mine. And so in chapter 22, so she's done the whole thing with the weaver. We, we know she can be a bloodhound, so to speak, for Reese. And they haven't heard anything back from the summer court yet. So Reese is like, all right, fine. We're going to go down to the mortal realm. And we're going to try and engage the queens. But we're going to go, the mortal realm, the place that they've decided, of course, is Farrah's sister's and father's house. So they're planning to go. And um, Farrah's, the chapter opens and Farrah's in her room. And she's talking with, uh, with Morgan while they pick out clothes for Farrah to wear. 
it just cracks me up because Moore's like, so what does one wear to the human realm? Like, she's I know, I love clothes. this. And it just cracks my ass up because literally the response is from Pharaoh. Layers, I said. They cover everything up. The decolletage might be a little daring depending on the event, but everything else gets hidden beneath skirts and petticoats and nonsense. And it just kind of, it just, it totally cracks me up because, you know, she's talking about it. And the first time I read that, again, I'm a costume person, people. I, I love clothes and I'm, I'm a costume designer by trade. And I just, you know, that's what I went to college for. And I, I'm totally kind of going, huh, huh. And I kind of got this weird, like, Victorian thing going in my head. I don't know, somewhere between like Henry VIII and the Victorian era, and that's a whole lot to unpack in there, because that's a whole lot of clothes. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting, because, like, I did the same thing as you, I, like, tried to picture it, and I think you and I even had a conversation where I was like, oh, and I think, like, the spring court kind of dresses like that, too, <laughs> versus, for some reason, we do not dress like that in the night court. Um, well, I think the spring court is more <laughs> is even like older than that. I think of the spring court as more of a like a Viking feudal with the oh maybe the, the overdress and the kirtle and the whole yeah. bit. Like I, I don't know. I mean it's very strange. And then could be. And I then, have absolutely no idea. <laughs> except for the wedding dress, which was just a big bunch of like well eighties meringue. Yeah. I don't I don't know, dude. I I don't Seeing this on TV is going to be, like, choices are going to be made. <laughs> the wedding dress, every time I think of that wedding dress, because of the way it's described, I have to tell you, that wedding dress, I think of it, it's like Princess Diana's dress. Yes. A la fairy style. Like, big, poofy, lots of everything. Ah. I just um, like what Moore says about this whole situation, where she's like, sounds like the women are used to not having to run or fight. Right. <laughs> It wasn't like that 500 years ago. Womp womp. But, but Farrah's response to that is even better. She's like, nowadays, most women wed, bear children, then plan their children's marriages. Some of the poor might work in fields, and a rare few were mercenaries or hired soldiers. But the wealthier they are, the more restricted their freedoms and roles become. You'd think that the money would buy you the ability to do whatever you please. And I thought that was really interesting because, again, that's very um, Victorian and Moray in style. So it's, yeah. it's just weird all the different time periods. I mean, it's fantasy. You can have any time period you want. But it's just kind of weird how you can relate to it from a historic standpoint. So I just thought that was really fascinating. And so, you know, Farrah pulled out an outfit and Moore just kind of nodded her head and kind of kept going. And I just... It, it causes fair to, to, you know, to remark to herself in her inner monologue how different Moore is from Ianthe, because Ianthe would have passed, you know, full-on judgment with explanations as to why she should or shouldn't wear something, yada, 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 where Moore's just like, yeah, whatever, and Farrah's like, I could walk out in my pajamas and nobody would care, you know, like, it, it's just night and day, and then, you know, Moore actually comes out and mentions while fair is getting dressed the similarities between the attitudes of certain high fae and the mortals like she just described 
and more kind of tells a little bit of her story and it's the first time you really kind of get to hear a little bit about more and her background and she's like in the court of nightmares female surprise our virginity is guarded then sold off to the highest bidder whatever male will be of the most advantage to our family i was born stronger than anyone in my family even the males and i couldn't hide it because they could smell it the same way you can smell a high lord's air before he comes to power the power leaves a mark an echo when i was 12 before i bled i prayed it meant no male would take me as a wife that i would escape what my elder cousins had endured loveless sometimes brutal marriages but then i began bleeding a few days after i turned 17 and the moment my first blood came my power woke in full force and even that god's damned mountain trembled around us but instead of being horrified every single ruling family in the hewn city saw me as a prize mare saw that power and wanted it bred into their bloodline over and over again i mean that is really primeval I think it's the only way I can think of to say it, you know, well, it, it is. And it's interesting to talk about this. I mean, I, I can only imagine from Farrah's point of view, but like even reading it, it's fascinating that this conversation is happening after what Reese was just telling us about, like how his situation with Ayanthe had gone. Right. And I think it's interesting because it's like, like we said, it turns out that this bullshit goes both ways. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I think this is more the typical way that we see it in stories, and that makes, I mean, it's just as horrendous, but it's just interesting because even though we see it this way, typically, we don't usually heard, like, hear about them talking about it. You know what I mean? Like, normally in a story, it's just, like, background. It's just, like, yeah, yeah, and then they married her off so that they'd have powerful, you know, fairy babies or whatever. And it's, like, but in this, it's, like, no. Like, I'm telling you how ugly it really is. And now she's been told twice by two different people that this is, like, a thing that is mm-hmm. happening. Well, and not only that, but I think, one, it it does give you a background to 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 more story, which I think For is sure. important because we do need to start to understand how more is the way she is but two the thing that always caught my attention on that is that last little bit where morgan says and when i when it happened when i when my power awoke even the god's damned mountain trembled beneath us and you know i mean she has been in the palace above the mountain and has felt it tremble and respond to reese right right and without giving any spoilers away i'm thinking that most most people there's no reaction or response to them in the mountain with their power so i'm thinking the fact that you found out earlier that that reese made more his his second or his third in command second yeah third to amarin is very telling right there that technically she's more powerful than azrael and cassian oh for sure you know anyway so 
more is like, look, the rest of the story, it's long and awful. I'll tell you another time. I just came in here to tell you I'm not going down to the mortal realm with you. <laughs> and Pharaoh's like, wait, 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 what? <laughs> Hold up. What do you mean? And and she's like, did Reese tell you not to go? Because she's getting all angry, you know, because she's, she's thinking like, Tam would have been like, nope, you're a girl. You don't get to go. And Moore's like, no, I didn't want to go. I'll go when the queens come, but until then, I'm not going to go. And so it's just going to be Rhysand, Feyre, Azriel, and Cassian. And as she finishes getting ready and all, and she's, you know, trying to get her stuff together, she's getting ready to walk out to meet with the guys to go, she looks at, she looks at more and she's like, I'd like my sisters to meet you. Maybe not today. I want them to hear your story, and I know that there's a special strength. As I spoke, I realized I needed to hear it too. A special strength in enduring such dark trials and hardships, and still remaining warm and kind, still willing to trust and reach out. Moore's mouth tightened, and she blinked a few times. I went for the door, but paused with my hand on the knob. I'm sorry if I was not as welcoming to you as you were to me when I arrived at the night court. I was, I'm trying to learn how to adjust. Moore hopped off the bed, opened the door for me and said, there are good days and hard days for me, even now. Don't let the hard days win. And I love that. I mean, I think that's like I one of my favorite too. things that you hear is Moore saying, don't let the hard days win. And it does come back. And for those of us that are, are diehard fans of the series and, and survivors of mass destruction or mass holes or whatever term they go by, because there are a couple of them. Right. Um, you know, it really resonates. In fact, you'll, I've seen that on shirts, um, on T-shirts and stickers and all. It says, don't let the hard days win. And this is really what it refers back to. It's, and, 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 you know, I mean, let's face it, Moore's got a great story. And uh, I, I want to, I want to. It, oh. it kind of all ties back into like what you and I were saying about how there's something particularly powerful about her also being the one that like went in and got Feyre out when she was at right. Spring Court. And it's just, it's kind of what Feyre said. It's the fact that like Moore is such a good example of somebody who like just like has like we'll get details about how, but like who has been through hell, but now never stops showing up. Right. Because Absolutely. she got out and now other people can too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Same with like Amryn. It's the other thing I love about Amryn. Like looking back at like when Amryn was like, you know, here, take the necklace. It'll help you like stay out of the prison or whatever. And it was all bullshit. But Amryn did it because Amryn was basically like, I got out. I'm, I'm not, I won't go back, but I got out and you got out from under the mountain and you're going to get out of this too. You know what I mean? There's just something special about like how the women communicate in this book, I feel like. Well, and they, they bond together and they stick together and they, they kind of right. have each other's backs, which is so awesome. And it's like, so impressive just... too with how little they actually know about each other. I mean, even Amron and Moore, even though they've known each other forever, nobody knows what Amron really is. Exactly. So, like, you only know Amron as well as your, you know, mailman. <laughs> Pretty much. 
So that's what, like, I think is super interesting is like, these are three women who don't really have, who don't on paper have anything in common and don't know each other very well, but like, boy, do they keep showing up for Feyre and proving like that they're going to keep showing up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love it. I love knowing that, that these people have her back, that she's, she's really, she's in a good place, like with good people. And that makes, that makes me feel better about the whole situation. So Feyre gets down to the foyer, foyer, the boys are waiting for her. I have to laugh because in my notes, and I'm, I'm, y'all are going to start hearing me refer to this. And diehard fans, we all refer to the boys as this. See the Illyrians because of their wings. We call them the Bat Boys, which I love. So I have, I have, Thera goes to meet the Bat Boys in the foyer, and <laughs> um, just makes me giggle because you know when you're making your notes, you make your notes as fast as you can. That's how I make my notes, and you know. If, was trying to figure out who she's going to fly with. Which, I'm sorry, I hope you have this highlighted because I just died. Like, she, she's not just trying to figure out who she's going to fly with. Instead, she has like a little mini meltdown for a minute because she's like, I took one look at Reese and felt those hands on my thighs again. And I'm like, I told you that we spent way too long in that chapter talking about that. Per much. I was like, guys, guys, I love this. <laughs> and now you can see why I'm not the only one. <laughs> it's awesome. I love it. I did have that highlighted, but I'm glad you grabbed it. So anyway, favorite is like, all right, I'm, I'm going to fly with Azriel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because she makes it super awkward. She doesn't just look at him and is like, mm, he touched me. Like, no, her brain just like goes like completely kaput because she's like, because not only is she thinking about how he, like, had, you know, touched her legs, scamble, um, not only is she thinking about that, but she's thinking about, like, being inside his mind and, like, what she knows about him now, blah, blah, blah. And she's, like, right. he's seen and endured such unspeakable things, and yet his hands on my thighs had been gentle. The touch, like, nah, I didn't let myself finish that thought. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Mess. She's a hot mess. Poor thing. But also, and, uh, if I had to pick the least stressful person to fly with in the room, I probably would have picked As too. So I get it. I get it too. He's kind of the Mister not fluffed at all, like about anything. Yeah, or he'll he just is, carry her he like really a normal. can't tell. He'll carry her normal, and that's what I'm saying. He'll carry her normal. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to pick her up normal like how like okay i mean maybe maybe everybody's normal isn't my normal but he's gonna carry her normal like i don't know what other way they will put it hands under knees hand around back carrying her normal <laughs> well i always think you know cassian's just gonna do like a fireman carry or something stupid like that because it's just cassian <laughs> cassian would cassian would <laughs> Cassie would be like, I'm gonna do something crazy. Like, I'm gonna I'm carry you by your ankles and <laughs> you're just, just hold on. Yeah, you're just gonna flail around, looking around. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna pick you up, flip you over my shoulder. We'll go, we'll be fine. Yeah, he's like, it's fine. But I'm just like, Asriel will pick her up like a normal human picks up another human to carry them. <laughs> anyway, I'm exactly. sorry. Exactly. Carry on. 
It's okay. So apparently her decision is a little shocking to both Cassian and Rixan. Of course, Azrael being Azrael was like, I'll be happy to do this. Right, I was gonna say, it's shocking to everyone except for Az, who's like, I know you two assholes. <laughs> Pretty much. That's exactly what it was. So, Reese gets uh, Cassian winnowed out to the wall first. Comes back, he gets Azrael and, and Feyre, and they winnow out, and he, they get out to outside the wall, and they're flying uh, up to it, and Feyre realizes they're over by the spring court, and she's like, you know, can Tamla tell I'm here? Like, she's, she's having a little bit of an existential issue in her head again. I'm like, girlfriend, chill out. Right. And I'm like, calm down. But as she gets closer to the wall, she's just like, oh, oh. And she's like, I felt it. She's like, you know, as a human, it had been nothing but an invisible shield. As a fairy, I couldn't see it, but I could hear it crackling with power. The tang of it coating my tongue. And you kind of think about that. It's like, ew. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to, it's like, I guess like a monster electrical fence or something. I don't know. And it's just, it's so funny to me because then Azriel like realizes what she's upset about. Like, I guess her body language is, is giving it off, which anybody astute would kind of figure out. Right. And as, as does get points for being the observant astute child there. He's like, it's abhorrent, isn't it? And Farah, and this is, this is this one beautiful little moment between her and Az that I just, I love. Feyre's like, I can see why you, we, were deterred for all these centuries. His response is, you'll get used to it, the wording. And Which I appreciate because we'll get more about him later, but he always feels like an outsider too, so that's cute. Very much so. And I really like the fact that he, you know, he gets it. He's not he doesn't criticize her like Ayanthe would totally have like jumped down her throat and been like you know you need to get it right it's us you're part of us like she would have been really nasty and bitchy about it and right. Asher was like yeah you'll get used to it don't worry about it you know it took me a while too and Feyre it opens up it gives them a moment and Feyre opens up to him and she's like I really don't know where I fit in anymore and Asa's response to her is beautiful. He's like, I've been alive almost five and a half centuries, and I'm not sure of that either. I know. And I'm like, okay. I love him. We have two people that get each other on that level of, yeah. I'm here, and I'm part, but I'm not a part. I'm upside. I'm out on the outside. It's like I'm, I'm on the outside looking in more than I am in the group participating. Well, and I just... I just, I love that for all of them because, like, I'm thinking about it now and, like, it's not super relevant to this chapter, but, like, we were just talking about how, you know, she and Moore can relate on, like, 
some of the female aspects and she and Amarin mm -hmm. can relate on, you know, being made and she and Reese relate because they were under the mountain together and she and Cassian mm -hmm. can relate because Cassian's the only one who really knows what it's like to like be hungry. And now we've got mm -hmm. Az and Az is like, yep, mm -hmm, I've been the outsider too. And like these people all like connect. So like she doesn't, I don't think she sees it yet in the book at this point, but it's like, no. we can see it as the reader, like how well she fits in here absolutely like it's they're all intrinsically tied to one another and i think it's awesome i yeah. really do i love it and anyway as they go through the wall as finds the hole to go through and she's like i felt the wall as we swept swept through felt it lunge for me as if enraged we had slipped past that's kind of Bizarro, man, you know? I mean, hello. So the wall apparently is sentient. Who knew? Not me. I don't know. It's kind of creepy. Um, and then we were out. And, you know, it's just, it's funny because remember, they had been flying next to the spring court. So it's all pretty and spring and warm. They get through the wall and they're at the mortal lands and it's cold because guess what kids it's still winter uh, nipply as some of my friends have said in the past <laughs> yeah. as she says the temperature is so cold it snatched the breath from me and i'm like mm, nipply cold yeah i've been there done that don't like that kind of weather mm -mm, nope and they are you know going towards the coast and and you know she's watching as they're approaching and they cleared a sandy beach at the base of these cliffs and you know there's snow everywhere talk about a revelation and her thought is the human lands my home that's where the chapter ends and i find it so interesting that that that's her thought as she's flying over and and you know my home in fairness, let's just all be glad she doesn't think of the spring court as home anymore. Thank God for small miracles. So, I mean, even though I'm not super into her thinking of the human lands as her home, they were her home for most of her life, and, like, her sisters are there. So that is more excusable than if she had said that about the spring court, in which case I'd have to slap her. I think we all would. We'd have to reach to the book and just slap the shit out of her for it, because, well, I'm sorry, but you know, I gotta knock the stupid out of her somehow. Chapter 23! Woohoo! Woohoo! They're in the mortal lands! Woohoo! It's winter. The whole thing that started it all. Exactly. We are back at the beginning, sort of, kind of, kind of, sort of. Not really, but anyway. I thought it was interesting that that's where we end up at this point. You know, she realizes I'm home. A year ago, I went to the woods to go get dinner and kill Danders, and here we all are. And she takes note that they still have their winter evergreen decorations up. It's really the only decorations they put up. They're not really into doing a lot of different celebrations and acknowledging all the different high holy days, holidays that the fairies celebrate. Right. And so I just kind of caught our attention that, you know, it's that time where they still have you know, wintergreen, evergreen, holly, and evergreen decorations up everywhere. 
and Feyre knocks on the door, and Reese and Kaz and Azrael are hidden somewhere by, by Reese. Who knows? And Mrs. Laurent opens the door, realizes it's Feyre, but almost immediately realizes Feyre is not a human. And Feyre realizes Mrs. Laurent knew, knew that there was something different, something was off. Quite literally, I find it very interesting that the whole thing opens and Farah is reminiscing about the fact that it had been one year since she had killed Andrus in the woods. She was trying to say something and then, then Elaine comes through and, you know, interrupts and she's like, Mrs. Laurent and, and you know, Farah actually backed away a step because she realized she didn't want to do anything to hurt Elaine or upset Elaine and Elaine's face comes out and it, it you know she kind of she's looking at she looks to see who's at the door because Mrs. Laurent does not have the door open very much one yes it's winter but two Mrs. Laurent doesn't want Feyre in the house again she's scared <laughs> she is, she's very scared and so um Elaine's face just kind of pops over Mrs. Laurent's shoulder it's kind of like you know meerkat gopher whatever it is prairie dog and up over the shoulder. And Feyre realizes that Elaine is exactly as she remembered her. And Feyre is literally standing in front of the front door of her family's estate and doesn't awkward. Yeah, doesn't want to let her in. Like Feyre's like, I'm I'm here to speak to my family. And Mrs. Laurent is like, uh, your father's not here. And she's like, but my sister because Mrs. Laurent, as she's looking at Farah, not only has she realized Farah is not looking normal, but there's no footprints in the snow leading up to the house. There's no carriage marks. There's no nothing. Farah's just there on the front porch. Yeah, I'm thinking they weren't totally smart about how they did that, but whatever. And, you know, the hood is on, so her ears, the crown, everything else about her is hidden, just the bare minimum of her face. Elaine literally looks at her, and they go super wide, and she goes into shock, and then tears just start running down her face. And Mrs. Laurent is not moving, not one inch, not nothing. This woman is not like, this woman's ready to close the door on Farrah's face. And, and you know, Elaine's literally crying and sobbing. And then you hear footsteps behind Elaine and Mrs. Laurent. And you hear the footsteps, the voice to those footsteps say, Mrs. Laurent, drop some tea and bring it to the drawing room. She looks at the stairs, and then she looks to Elaine, and then she looks at Farah. And as it says in here, I love this. The woman merely gave me a look that promised death if I harmed my sisters as she turned into the house, leaving me before Elaine, still quietly crying. But I took a step over the threshold and looked up the staircase to where Nesta stood, a hand braced on the rail, staring as if I were a ghost. So, we get a snowflakey thing, but really quick. The girls' reactions. So, I have to wonder... Did they think she was dead or, I mean, really, like, I mean, yes, they knew Farah was leaving to go off to go right. to her love, Tamlin. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess I, I don't understand. Yeah, what they were 
I think that I think that they thought they would never have to think about it again. <laughs> like I, I think they thought when she left to go back, it was easier for them to just assume they would never see her again, never hear from her again. And they were just going to assume it all worked out. You know what I mean? Like, I think that was their coping mechanism. I guess. I don't know. It just is really weird. Like they're both acting like she was dead. And I'm like, yeah, there's nobody you all would have known she she was going to die. No way. Anyway, little snowflakey thing. And Feyre's in the foyer. Or actually, they, they moved from the foyer into the sitting room. And she's worrying herself in front of the fire. And her observation of the house is just so interesting because it's like, you know, it's it, nothing is touched. It's, it's all new. It's beautiful. It's kind of... It's kind of, I get the feeling it's almost like a museum in her mind. And um, she talks about it. She's like, she's talking about herself in within this space. And she's like, I've become too big for these rooms, for this fragile mortal life, too stained and wild and powerful. Man, girls have some issues. <laughs> oh, she does. And I just think it's interesting that that's how she sees herself in her family's house. This being the girl who fought to feed them for years. And and she feels so out of place here. And I, I just find it very interesting. And, you know, she's like, Nesta looks the same. A little older, but the same. And, you know, Feyre is sitting across from Nesta and Elaine. And they're literally waiting for favorite to speak can we just say awkward like her two older sisters just sitting here staring at her waiting for her to speak nobody's like hey how are you are you doing okay nothing it's right yeah it's whatever just, just awkward silence very and so Sarah opens it up and she's asking about their dad. Where's their father? Um, and they're like, oh, he, uh, he's, he's on the continent for business. And Nesta is finally like, he's trading with some merchants from the other half of the world. And attending a summit above the threat above the wall. A threat I wonder if you've come back to warn us about. Well, there's a happy warm fuzzy. No, hey, how are you? I love you. I miss you. Nothing. Like her sisters are so full of love, not. Well, that wasn't their strong suit to begin with. So true. It was not their strong suit. But it just, I don't know. It it kind of breaks my heart for her, you know? And, you know. You know, nothing nothing warm or fuzzy at all coming out of Nesta. And Elaine's response is, whatever the reason, we're happy to see you alive. We thought you were, which means, yes, they thought she had died because she gets cut off. Because before Elaine could even finish her thought, Farrah pulls the hood back. And Elaine gets so spooked because she's noticing her ears, the pointy ears, and her longer, slender hands, and her face that was, without a doubt, Faye. And Pharaoh looks at her sisters and says, I was dead. 
I was dead and then I was reborn, remade. And in that process, Elaine starts to kind of panic a little and freak out, which I can understand. It's a little understandable. And Nesta literally moves herself between Feyre and Elaine. Nesta, being the pleasant creature that Nesta is, not. Nesta is like, no, find somewhere else. And points out that Elaine is engaged to be married and uses this as her excuse, which I have a problem with because that's not cool. Because of, of everything, she, she says that no fairies, including Feyre, are allowed in the house. You know, Feyre is like, look, I have nowhere else to go. You know, poor, poor Feyre. She's here, she's here out of love for her sisters, whether they would ever see it or acknowledge it. That is why she is there. And, you know, she's like, she's looking at Nesta and she's like, I need you to listen. Really listen to what I have to tell you. And so Feyre tells them their, her story and explains exactly what had happened. Um, she kept as brief as she could. Um, she gives and, the Cliff Notes version. This is super, yeah, she gave the Cliff Notes, and I'm giving you the Cliff Notes of that, which is she told her story. That's the Cliff Notes for you people, because otherwise we, we could be here all night. And um, anyway, you know, Feyre explains about Highburn and the war and asks if they could use their house to, to as a meeting point for the, the queens to come over from the continent um, and, and see what they can do to make alliances and protect the humans in this war to come. And it just, I don't know, it's a, they, they go back and forth and back and forth. And Elaine finally steps in, she starts to plead and she steps in, she looks at Nesta and she's like, Nesta, if, if we do not help Farah, there won't be a wedding. Even Lord Nolan's battlements and all of his men couldn't save me from them. We keep it secret. We send the servants away. With the spring approaching, they'll be glad to go home. And if Farah needs to be in and out for meetings, she'll send word ahead and we'll clear them out. Make up excuses to send them on holidays. Father won't be back until the summer anyway. No one will know. Farah gave and gave for years. Let us now help her help others. So I love it because it's like, you go, Elaine, for as kind of frivolous and, right. and silly as you could be. This is really Elaine stepping up and just saying, hey, look, I am acknowledging my sister did for me over and over and right. over and over again. I'm finally wanting to do something for her. And she she kind of convinces Nesta to do it. And Nesta's like, fine, we'll do it. We'll send them away tomorrow. And, and Farah pushes and she's like, no, today. It has to be today. And Elaine's like, I'll do it. And so Elaine went and she sends, she, she gets up to go send them away. And I, I just find it kind of interesting that Elaine's the one who's able to do that. And uh, once Elaine leaves, Feyre asks Nesta about this fiance and, you know, her opinion on everything. And, you know, Nesta's like, she explains that Elaine loves him and that, that he loves her. Uh, both the fiance and the father hate and hunt fairies, but overall it, it's a good match. Um, 
Vanessa's not a big fan of the father. Apparently, he's quite the asshole, but, you know, she, he's not going to live forever, so Nesta's kind of letting it go. And then Nesta asks Farah, well, what happened? And she's like, she looks at Farah at and says, you're high lord. You went through all that, and it still did not end well. And so Farah goes to answer, and she's like, that lord built a wall to keep the fate out. My high lord wanted to keep me caged in. To save me, protect me. And I think, I think what happened to him, to us, under the mountain, it broke him. The drive to protect at all costs, even my own well-being. I think he wanted to stifle it, but he couldn't, he couldn't let go of it. There was still so much I had to do. She has so much she still needs to do to settle herself. And so then Nesta's like, but you're at a new court. And she's, and, and Fair is like, so you want to meet them? But I just like real quick before we do meet them, which is like also fun. <laughs> I just love that Nesta just kind of says it as it is. Because Nesta's kind of the one who pushed her in book one when she was like, you can go back. Like, if that's what you want to do, I know that's what you want to do. You want to go, like, save his butt. Go do that. You know what I mean? Right. And now, and now she's back and she's like, so, you went through all that bullshit and it didn't even matter. And Farrah's kind of like, yep. And t- you can tell this is just like, men. <laughs> like, <laughs> Dumbass. Like, you can tell she's like, all right, well, that's some bullshit. But anyway, so who are these new people? You know what I mean? It's like, as much as she hates the whole Faye situation and she's like pissed off about the whole thing, you can tell like her curiosity is going to get the better of her because she's like, so now you're in a new court? Yeah, I guess I don't care. Who are they? (laughs) Pretty much. I just find it interesting that Fair is able to compare what what Elaine's fiance and his parent, you know, his father has done to keep the fairies out as the, to invert it for what Tam had done to her. And I, I think that's a great analogy right. to, to be, for people to be able to see and understand. At the same time, that's exactly where chapter 23 ends. <laughs> so it's like, whoop, you want to meet him? And that's how we end. They're going to hunt her and crucify her and, 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 you know, she's trying to find a safe place. And, you know, it's it's just kind of crazy. And Nesta's like, yes, Elaine's getting married in five months. She's marrying the Lord's son. His father has devoted his life to hunting down your kind when they cross the wall. I.e. fairies. Yeah. Sounds like, like a real winner. winner. Yeah, I mean, he's a real prize, isn't he? You know, Cassian really is impressed with the wealth that he has seen. And, all right, chapter 24. So, after a few hours, Elaine had worked her magic and got all of the servants out of the house. I still want to know what Elaine's magic is, because that's a cool magic trick. It really is. Like, I'm kind of impressed with Elaine, because Elaine seems like the kind of person who wouldn't stand up to, like, Nesta in the first place. But the fact that she was like, Nesta, our sister needs to be here. And then she was also like, I'll get rid of everybody. <laughs> like, wow, Elaine, sure. this is the, and I mean, not to spoil it, but this is pretty much the most take charge we see Elaine for a very, wow. very, very long time. 
Well, it's the first time I've really seen her in charge, and now it's, well, yeah. Anyway. It's like the first time and basically the only time, but that's beside the point. She's, she's, she's more the meek and mild type, what can we say? Anyway, so Favorite opens the door and she has let Reese, Kaz, and Azrael into the house. Favorite takes a moment and she's like, you know, all of it had been paid for by Tamlin initially. He had taken care of my family, yet his own, I didn't want to think about his family, murdered by a rival court for whatever reason no one had ever explained to me. Not that now, not now that I was living amongst them. But he'd been good. There was a part of Tamlin that was good. Yes, he'd given me everything I needed to become myself, to feel safe. And when he got what he wanted, he'd stopped. Had tried, but not really. He'd let himself remain blind to what I needed after Amarantha. So I think it's really interesting, you know, the guys are in, the Bat Boys are in, they're checking everything out, they're looking at the wealth that her family has. And Feyre has this moment of introspection of, yes, Tamlin is good, and yes, he did good things, but <laughs> he also fell very short, and this is where and how. And uh, I yeah. just, I, I find it interesting that at that moment is when she kind of has this mild epiphany about it all. I kind of love that it's at this moment, too, because I feel like, I feel like this is a good time for that, like, before, like, once she brings her sisters into this, there is no going back. Right. And so, like, she better be damn sure that this is what she wants. And I feel like we are now, like, all on the same page that, like, there is no going back to Tam. There is no going back to how things were. This, like, here we are. This is what happened. You know what I mean? Right. And I think it provides a little bit of, you know, closure and a way for her to truly move right. forward. I think this is the first big step in her healing. Really exactly. healing. Exactly. Um, and in recognizing, yes, you know, he did wonderful things, and yes, he could be a good person, but he did really shitty things, and he, he literally, as soon as he got what he needed, he went blind to what my needs were, and, and pretty much didn't listen and stopped caring, and I, I think, think it's also a good reminder for, like, your younger readers, not that you should be terribly young reading this book, but you get my point. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a good reminder that, like, somebody can do really nice things for you and, like, be really nice to you, and even if they don't, you know, lock you in a house, um, the point is, is like, you don't have to stay with them just because they're nice to you. Exactly. Like, if exactly. that's not enough, if that's not working, then it's okay to give that up. It is, and, you know, I think it's, it also shows the truth and the strength of that. And I think for, for that, you know, I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's really her kind of breakthrough moment and her real first turn in the right direction for um, everything she has been through and everything she's experienced and for her to truly start to move forward. Agreed. And I think it's interesting that she has it with the Bat Boys right there. And, and I just, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's a cool moment because of the way the relationships are already forming amongst them. Because as, as you know, Kelsey pointed out, they do have, she has been able to have one-on-one -on -one moments with every single person. And, you know, the fact that 
Cassian and she have truly bonded over the fact that he understands what it means to be hungry. So for him to be seeing this, and she's really seeing it because of his response and has this moment of introspection, I think is what makes it truly kind of a powerful moment. Right. Fair explains to them that her father is on the continent for business and to meet because of uh, stuff going on up in Prithian, but that her sisters are there. I mean, even Cassian is just like, I've seen castles with less wealth, which just, again, this is the boy who grew up with nothing, so I find it very interesting. Cassian gets really confused when she's saying, you know, her father's meeting with um, other mortals in the continent because of this threat in Prithian. And Cassian's like, Prithian, not Highburn. And Pharaoh's like, look, it's possible that my sisters were mistaken. Right. You know, everything north of the wall is basically foreign to them. So, who knows? And Reese is like, all right, let's wrap this up. You know, let's let's go make this introduction. And we get a little snowflakey thing. And so, Pharaoh leads them into the dining room where her sisters are waiting. And it gives her a moment of looking at them briefly and, and realizing they're so young and they're so beautiful. And, you know, she's going to remain young looking for a long, long time as they age and wither away. And it kind of, the difference between the mortal and the immortal just kind of catches her off guard for a moment. But it also motivates Feyre to really try to make this work because then she can guarantee her sister's a couple of good years right. of safety and, and all. So that's her motivation to kind of fight to keep them safe. She crosses the room and the bat boys are behind her. And she's like, I'd removed my cloak now. The servants had gone and it was to me, not the Illyrians, that my sisters first looked. At the fake clothes, the crown, the jewelry. A stranger, this part of me was now a stranger to them. And then they took in the winged males, or two of them, Reese's wings had vanished, his leathers replaced by his fine black jacket and pants. Anyway, this introduction gets really awkward and really uncomfortable. The sisters kind of stiffen and freak out a little to Cassian and Azrael, and to the point that Nesta quite literally steps in front of Elaine as if she's going to protect her. <laughs> Funny. And of course, nobody misses this. And Farrah introduces her sisters. And she realizes she hadn't thought of her family's last name in a very long time. In fact, it comes to her that she stopped thinking of her family's last name when she went out and she hunted for the first time and killed the rabbit. And her family's last name, I have to say this, and I'm going to take a moment here because this is just, it's kind of a moment here. And, and, and cast, Kelsey, I've talked about this and I've talked to her about this and it just kind of amuses me. Because remember, we had talked about this whole Hades Persephone thing. And uh, anyway, <laughs> sorry, y'all, if you could see what Kelsey's doing, you'd understand why I'm giggling. So she, um, anyway, Fair introduces them, you know, Nesta and Elaine, Archeron. Because remember, their last name is Archeron. Yeah. Did y'all know that Archeron is the name of a river in the underworld where Hades is king and the name means river of woe? What? <laughs> yeah. 
it's like crazy and it's just funny because she's like i hadn't thought of it in years since i had to go out and kill and it's like how appropriate the name means river of woe it's related to the whole hades persephone thing and now that she's in the night court she's kind of got this whole she's persephone and and resand is hades kind of going on right kind of sort of sort of kind of yeah yeah just smoke so I just had to take a note and step back and just point this out to y'all because I thought it was so interesting because Kelsey and I were reading, we were reading this Hades series <laughs> together at the same time. We may have gone down a rabbit hole one week. We did. We've, honey, you and I have been down a few rabbit holes, but that week in particular. And they talk about the river Archeron and I was like, no way. <laughs> so I went and I checked it out and sure enough, it's legit, and that's what it means. And yeah, I was like, we were oh, like, God. wait, excuse me, what? <laughs> I'm like, we have to talk about this, because this is just too, like, coinky-dinky weird. Because, I mean, remember, River of Woe, if you think about that, her mother's died, her dad lost his fortune, yada, yada, yada. You know, Farrah goes off to fight to save Tamlin and ultimately Prithian she dies again whoa 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 like this whole woe is me thing so you know take it from what you want but i can definitely see where um it plays into things in the storyline that's all i'm saying so anyway little side note lesson done that i had to share because i thought it was a cool thing to share i'm just i don't know i mean it and i'll be honest y'all it doesn't get much better from here it gets really kind of painful this is a very long, painful dinner, so I will spare you all the gore and detail of, of the pain of this dinner, but I'm going to go into a couple, like, little highlighty smidgies things here, so hang on. Highlight away. <laughs> so, to start the dinner, Nesta indicates that Cook had left dinner on the table, and they should all sit and eat before the food gets cold, and there's a little bit of awkward shuffling while everybody finds a place to sit and then of course both Cassian and Azrael god bless them are trying to struggle with fitting their wings around the back of these human chairs and Farrah feels bad because she's like crap I didn't even think about that and they all get their food on their plates and Farrah goes to put food in her mouth and she's struggling to eat because the food tastes like ash and Nesta notices and this is not very nice about it because, well, it's Nesta. Yeah, she's like, it's, like she takes it a little far. She does. She she gets she gets bitchy. There are no two shakes about it. She's just outright bitchy and hostile. And she's like, is there something wrong with our food? And Farrah's like, nope. I swallowed, gulped down a healthy drink of water. And so then Nesta, I mean, this is, this is truly how bitchy she gets. She's like, so you can't eat normal food anymore or are you too good for it? And poor Reese is struggling not to like lose his shit and basically tear Nesta into 10 million pieces. And Cassian and Azrael are both like trying really hard not to lose their shit with her either. And Farrah takes control, and I love this. I love this beautiful moment. It's gorgeous the way she does this. She lays her hand flat on the table. She looks at her sister and says, I can eat, drink, fuck, and fight as well as I did before. Better even. Which, in fairness, is also like a weird response. 
like Nesta is acting weird, but Feyre like takes it on a whole new level. Does, but you know what? Her sister kind of did start it down that path. It's fair. I just feel for the bad boy sitting here like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie's trying really hard not to choke. Azriel has basically shifted because he's getting ready to jump in if need be. And Nesta starts to laugh. Feyre is so pissed off she can literally taste fire in her mouth. And she hears it roaring in her veins. And then she says, a blind, solid tug on the bond, cooling darkness sweeping into me, my temper, my senses, calming that fire. So Resand is using the bond to calm her the fuck down before she basically lights her sister up more ways than one. And, you know, Reese comes to, to Fair's defense and says, look, if you ever came to Prithian, you would understand why your food tastes so much different than ours. And, of course, Nesta being Nesta is so bitchy, and she's looking down her nose, and she's like, I would never want to go to Prithian. I would never set foot in your land. And, of course, Elaine, ever trying to compromise it, is like, Nesta, please. Like, she's trying to, like, stop the fight from happening. And Nesta starts sizing her, uh, Cassie starts sizing Nesta up. And I'm like, oh shit, here we go. Because let's face it, y'all, this is the man who is the general of, of Rhysand's armies. And I'm like, oh crap, here we go. You know, and then she notices that the Cassie is starting to size her up. And she's like, you know, she jumps on him and she's like, he's like, you know, what's your problem? And Cassian tears into her. And I'm like, you go Cassian. I love Cassian. I know I've told y'all this before, but I love me some Cassian. Cassian is my favorite. Right. And he says to her, someone who let her youngest sister risk her life every day in the woods while she did nothing. Someone who let a 14-year-old child go out into that forest so close to the wall. Your sister died, died to save my people. She is willing to do so again to protect you from war. So don't expect me to sit here with my mouth shut while you sneer at her for a choice she did not get to make and insult my people in the process. I'm like, go Cass. Because somebody, let's face it, somebody needs to call them out. I've been bitching about this since book one. Kelsey's bitched about it, but not as much as I have, because this shit just yanked my chain, y'all, that they did this to her, and they put her in that position, and I'm like, you go, Cassie, and so, like I said, someone just needs to call their asses out and right. hold them accountable. Cassie does that, and he's angry. I mean, he's, he's ready to, like, star fight, and Elaine jumps in. She's looking at him, and she's like, look, it's, it's very hard to understand, to accept it. Elaine goes from Cassian to Reese, then to Azrael. And she's like, we were raised this way. We hear stories of your kind crossing the wall to hurt us. Our own neighbor, Claire Bedor, was taken. Her family was murdered. And of course, both Reese and Feyre pretty much shut down because, well, they know. And Azrael is like, I can imagine. And He's kind of calming her down. He's really like, he's doing his thing with the shadows and calming everybody down. And 
And then Elaine looks at Cassian and she's like, and as for Feyre's hunting during those years, it is not Nesta's neglect alone that is to blame. We were scared and had received no training and everything had been taken and we failed her, both of us. And I have to give Elaine some kudos. I know not everyone is a fan of Elaine, like not everyone is a fan of Nesta. But I give Elaine kudos because Elaine in a pinch has stepped up and she has taken the mantle of responsibility and said, look, it wasn't just Nesta. I did it too. But she's owning that responsibility, unlike Nesta. And she's like, you know, it's our right. mistake. We 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 did this to her. And, you know, we failed her. And I have a lot of respect for her for that. Um, because Let's face it, Nesta would never in a kabillion years have the balls to step up and do that. And I just, I, I had, that really kind of turned, turned my taste for Elaine from being this frivolous, obnoxious, annoying, irritating piece of shit to this. And I just, I love her for it because it's like, you know, for all of the awesome things Nesta did, Nesta is still not right, bitch. And we're as careless as Elaine can be. And thoughtless as Elaine can be, Elaine is smart enough to know when to step up and own her, her mistakes, and she does. And I, I really respect that, um, and and I'm appreciative of her owning it. Um, and Feyre at this point realizes that that Reese is about ready to explode <laughs> as Arcassian and Azrael, and she's like. Can we just can we just start over? <laughs> let's let's start over, shall we? Everybody, let's all take a breath. We'll start over. And Nesta's finally like, fine, I'll pissy. And Feyre cleaned her plate. She had to struggle to do it, but she did clean her plate. She got it all down. You know, they get through dinner and and I'm like, oh thank God. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. I was beginning to think it was never gonna happen. And they, they turn the table topic over to safer conversations. It comes up about because Cassian and Ezreal have wings. Can they fly? And, you know, is it, you know, are they high fae? And then Cassian had to explain that, no, we're not high fae. You have to look like Feyre and Reese, basically, to be high fae. And then Nessa turns around, looks at her sister, and she's like, are you? Well, what are you? And Reese's answer, because he doesn't give anyone a chance to, to say anything, is she's whatever she wants to be. Which is adorable. I'm like, oh, a little small. I <laughs> love this. And anyway, they ask if they can stay the night so they don't have to fly all the way back up to Valaris. And her sisters agree. They tell them about the rooms that they need. They're going to need two rooms with two beds, yada, yada, yada. Well, that isn't going to work out. Which is fine, so, because magic. <laughs> magic. But the reason why they wanted to have the two rooms next to each other is because they don't totally know what magic what magic will, will do down on that side of the wall. Which I, I get, I guess, kind of, sort of. I wouldn't think it would be that different, but who knows? I guess it could be. IDK. Dinner ends finally. This long, horribly painful, I'd rather have a root canal dinner has finally ended. 
and so they end up going with just two rooms next to each other one has two beds one has one bed her sisters did the dishes and they all go up to their rooms and reese and and favor are sharing a room and cassie and Nazriel are sharing a room and Feyre and Reese and Cassian and Azrael go to write the letter. Reese writes it. They get into the room. He's like, it's been a few centuries since someone got under Cassian's skin that easily. Too bad they're both inclined to kill each other. I know, which is so funny. It's awesome. I love it. And then Reese is like, and Elaine should not be marrying that Lord's son, not for about a dozen reasons, least of which being the fact that you won't be invited to, to the wedding, though that Maybe that's a good thing. And of course, then Feyre, as this goes on, calls Reese out on the melodrama going on with his friends. And he's looking right. at her like, what? And she's like, look. This whole triangle with Moore and Az and Cassian and Reese gets all up in her face. He's like, don't get into it. And she's like, I'm not, but I'm just saying. She's like, I'm not going to get in the middle of it. I'm just pointing out that I'm not blind. My duty, yeah, I see this shit. Come on. They go to get... And he magics to, in a bed for himself, right? And then he magics in a bed for himself. So that he and Favorite can sleep in separate beds, which I think is hysterical. And so Favorite goes into the washroom and, and changes. And when she comes back and she gets in bed, Reese is already laying in the bed. He magicked in and he's laying there and Farrah gets in the bed and she realizes he had warmed the bed for her. Yeah. And she, she actually thanks him. And she's like, you know, as they're getting ready to go to bed, Favor's like, I didn't pack any clothes. And Reese basically magics in some pajamas for her. They start talking about her sisters, Farrah and Reese. And I, I just love it because Reese is like, Desta is a delight, by the way. Right. It just makes me giggle. Thank you for warming the bed. And he stopped and he's like, Amarantha never once thanked me for that. So for 50 years he did this for Amarantha and she never once even said thank you. And Favor's response is she didn't suffer enough. I know, which is also an adorable response. I just think this whole thing is really cute because like they were just kind of like bantering and she goes off to the bathroom and she comes back. She's like, oh, he did a nice thing. And for once, she actually thanks him, and he's just, like, honest about it, where he's just like, yeah, uh, I just I thought I should do a nice thing, but I've done nice things, and that stupid Amarantha bitch never noticed. <laughs> exactly. And it just, it's just so sweet. And so they have this cute little pillow talky thing, and I don't want to go into a whole lot, but he tells her how hard it was for him to get through dinner, and he did not realize how upset he was going to be realizing how young she had been when her sisters basically forced the responsibility of, of being the yeah. responsible adult, so to speak, for the family on her. And, you know, he's like, look, I know we need to thank them for letting us use the house, but he goes, I'm really angry. I don't know if I can forgive them for this. Like, he's, he's yeah. really struggling. And I think, and he kind of indicates that Cassian and, and Azrael are kind of in the same boat. And, and, you know, they, they consider fear of one of them and part of their little circle. And so they're struggling right. with the fact that, that her sisters did this to them, did this to her. 
And then Reese goes on to explain that she is being paid and that she has accounts at, at the bank and Valaris and credit and the whole bit. And, and then Faye was like, whatever, I don't really care about that. That's not a big deal to me. But I think it's his way of basically almost trying to make up for what her sisters had done, which is like nobody took care of her. And now he's right. like, I'm doing everything I can to help take care of you at the moment. You know what I mean? Like, right. from like warming her bed to uh, here's how to access your money and how to shop and stuff. You know what I mean? I think he's like, wow, nobody ever took care of you. I'm sorry. But, you know, and, and yet we know Tamlin did, at least for a little bit. He tried to, but he, he literally took it to an extreme where Reese is being very conscious to not do that. Like, he is drawing clear right. lines and boundaries with it. And I'm like, thank God. Um, but it's just, it's really sweet. And she's just like, um... <laughs> she thinks about well it. Well about that. Well about that. Um, and she admits that her birthday is on the solstice. And he's like, I, I didn't observe you celebrating it. And Farah's answer was, I didn't tell anyone. I didn't want to party when there was already all that celebrating going on. And birthdays seem meaningless now anyway. Because she's an immortal. And I can get that, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. He's, he's, he's going to, like, sell out his own general to her sister. I'm like, oh, baby. You go. That's mm, that's some tough stuff there. But also, do you know what this whole like scene reminds me of? Did you see the movie The Proposal with Sandra Bullock? Yes. It yes. reminds me of when like it's like not the first night that they're staying at his parents' house, but like one of the like the second night or something, and mm -hmm. he's sleeping on the floor and she's in the bed and they're both just staring at the ceiling and they like realize they're gonna have to freaking talk. <laughs> And so they're just like babbling random facts at each other. <laughs> and I was just like, that's kind of what's happening here. They're both just laying there like, so. Pretty much. <laughs> but it's, I mean, it is a sweet conversation. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it we, is. we can acknowledge that, that they're more friends at this point than not, which, thank God. But that's the end of chapter 24. It's just, it was very sweet. And then they, they end up talking, just before they fall asleep, they talk about what would happen if Nesta and Cassian got in a fight and who would win. And Feyre's like, my money's on Nesta. Which I think is hysterical. And then apparently um, makes Reese giggle and he's just like, so's mine. <laughs> Right? That's what I thought was so funny. Chapter 25, Miss Kelsey. It's all you, friend. Chapter 25, Kelsey. Take it away. So, Risa Farah head off into the woods to train her powers, and it seems Farah has decided that she does need to train all the things. So, Reese obliges, though pointing out they were supposed to be treating today like a day off. So much for that. And trust me, we, we will... Yeah, well, we will regret not taking that day off just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a wee bit. 
but they head out into the snow far away from where anyone could see them. And even though this was all Feyre's idea, she's in a salty mood. And Reese says he should take Feyre to the Illyrian Mountains when they return. And Feyre's all, I don't know where those are since you showed me a blank map before. And like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, like, okay. But you weren't allied with him at the time. You were reporting everything back to Tamlin. True, true. So, like, don't be acting like this one's on Reese. <laughs> but, okay, so, but here's the thing. It may not all be on Reese, but let's also face it. We know Tamlin has to know about the Illyrians. Well, you know, one would think. I actually do have questions about that. Like, I do wonder to what extent everybody's like, oh, and then those are Illyrians. Because I do feel like somehow they... <laughs> fly under the radar. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think they do, yes. but okay, let me let me rephrase this. We know for a fact that anybody who fought in the war true has to know about the Illyrians because the Illyrians were part of the fighting true. of the war or the night court. True. So anyway, so, point is, is, yeah, so maybe he could have shown her. It doesn't matter. Point is, is Reese takes her whole little shit show of an act better than I would. And he actually summons out of nowhere a map and shows it to her and says, lest you think I don't trust you, Feyre, darling. And I'm like, yeah, because see, I would have just been like, don't be a bitch. You're the one who wants me to train you today. <laughs> but whatever. So he's nicer than me. And after they look at the map, randomly and for no reason, in the woods, I mean, apparently it's cold, and they keep talking about how they're cold, and they want to go inside, and blah, 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 and I'm like, so stop standing here in the woods looking at a map, but what do I know? Reese decides that they're in a good enough spot to train, and magically trades the map for a stumpy candle he is now holding in his hand, and he instructs Feyre to light it, douse it with water, and then dry the wick. And Feyre points out that she doesn't actually know how to do any of those things. <laughs> So Reese is like, would you rather practice shape-shifting? <laughs> and she's like, big dope. And let's just play with fire instead. And she tries for a moment. <laughs> I know. It's like, I, I could, I could practice my shape-shifting, but no, let's play with fire. It, it's probably safer this way. <laughs> Sorry. Boy Scout mom, I, I went to the wrong place with that. <laughs> But point is, she tries for a moment, and nothing happens. And she looks Reese over, because remember, he's just standing there staring at her holding this candle, which, like, has to be intimidating. And clearly it is, because she suggests maybe he should go somewhere else. Because, quote, I can't concentrate with you around. And go far. I can feel you from a room away. <laughs> and he just smiles and agrees, leaving her there and telling her to just like shout down the bond if she accomplishes the task. To which, like, by now she knows this isn't how this works. So I have to assume this is just a setup for the next line or she's an idiot. Because she says, what? Like literally shout at the tattoo? And he says, you could try rubbing it on certain parts of your body and I might come faster. <laughs> And there's your uh, PG-13 rating, boys and girls. Right. And I was like, okay, so I guess her line only exists to set up that hysterical line. Because otherwise, like, Jesus, Freyra, like, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway. 
anyway, he disappears, I'm sure with a wicked smile, <laughs> and Farrah plays with the candle. We get a snowflakey deal, and it tells us, yeah, I'm sorry, you're not wrong, you're laughing because there was no good way for this to not be dirty after what he said, and I thought the same fucking thing when I read it. I was like, you've ruined everything, Reese. <laughs> I think he did that on purpose. <laughs> he did. He ruined everything. <laughs> Hey, a dirty mind is a terrible, terrible thing to waste. <laughs> but we get a snow snowflake deal, and it tells us that girl has been trying this for a while and is getting nowhere. So at some point, she decides to take a break, and she looks in her backpack for a snack, and she finds a note from Reese that says, I'm bored. Any sparks yet? And this... <laughs> begins a reoccurring thing that I just think is freaking adorable and hilariously funny and like it just it's still fun the farther we get into the books. See mm -hmm. after, after she reads this note a pen appears and she writes note back and that vanishes. It, so she says no you snoop don't you have important things to do and she gets note back I'm watching Cassian and Nesta get into it again over tea. Something you subjected me to when you kicked me off training. I thought this was our day off. Like, they're basically texting. <laughs> they are. Like, I love it. This is texting in this universe, and I'm here for it. <laughs> Sign me up, please. But I think the cute part is that, like, like I said, because this is taking the place of, like, texting, Ferris seems to, like, joke around a lot more and be a lot more, like, comfortable talking to Reese and, like, kind of, like, poking fun with him and, like, flirting with him. And I feel like every teenage girl could relate to that. <laughs> like, I think we are all a little safer behind a phone screen. <laughs> like, I think we're all like, I could say the things. But if you were to talk to me face to face, I could not say the things. <laughs> so, yeah. I think, I think that's pretty relatable. But, you know, he said, you know, you subjected me to watching Cassie and Nesta, like, duke it out. And she says, poor baby High Lord, life is so hard. <laughs> okay, then he says, because at this moment, I'm Farrah's friend standing there right, like, behind her while she's texting. And I'm just like, no! He says, life is better when you're around. And look how lovely your handwriting is. And I guess she must find some pleasure in this because she pauses for a moment, like taking the message in and saying how she can like almost feel him waiting on the other side of the note. And she smiles and she writes back, you're a shameless flirt. And this has all been very sweet and adorable, <laughs> but distracting. So distracting, the favorite doesn't realize until it's too late that someone is behind her and a hand darts around her and covers her mouth and whoever it is yanks her off the ground and she's thrashing around and her attacker says in a familiar voice stop or i'll snap your neck mm. it's the adder Ooh, and because we apparently like a good cliffhanger the chapter ends here so we're just gonna dive into 26. boom reese speaks to the adder I'd been wondering where he slithered off to. And when the adder says nothing, he sends two spears through the adder's wings, explaining to him how this is going to work. Answer my <laughs> questions and you can crawl back to your master. But the adder just calls him a whore and Reese goes to torture the adder some more. <laughs> you know, Fair enough. Like you do when an adder calls you names. I would. 
but the adder breaks and is like, no, I was sent to get her, meaning Feyre. And Reese asks him why, but the adder doesn't know. He just knows that that's what the King of Hybrid wants. And Feyre is freaking out now. And that's fair. I don't blame her. I'd be freaking out too. Yeah. like That's this a scary sucks. thing. Yeah, this sucks. So Reese is getting either mad, impatient, or both, because now he's using some power against the adder, causing him, like, causing the adder to scream, and then he demands to know where the king currently is, and we're told Highburn, and Reese asks if there's an army and how large it is, and the adder tells him that the army is, quote, endless and coming soon, so that sucks. Like, really sucks. Good. And that's Reese, not good. Uh, more levels than we can count. Like really not yeah, good. People. Like this is this is bad news bears. And mm-hmm. Reese's questions come to a halt as Azriel, quiet as a mouse, comes out of nowhere, slamming into the snow. And Fair observes that Cassian isn't behind him, meaning he must be at the house protecting her sisters. And more importantly, what Farrah notices is that there's not, like, even a remote bit of kindness left on Azriel's face. Like, he is ready, he's here and ready to tear the Adder apart. Time for some Harry Carey, please. <laughs> like, it's gonna get ugly. Mm-hmm. But before letting Azriel take away their new prisoner, Reese tells the Adder, the next time you try to take her, I kill first, ask questions later. And mm. Azriel, I know, right? Like, real thing. I'll see you. <laughs> I'll see you for your maneuver and one-up you by this. <laughs> like, I'll raise you your, but you play cards, so it's like, you yes. know, I'll, I'll, I'll see you your king and I'll raise you. So, Fair has recognized the adder and is now looking around for anything she could possibly use to her advantage to get away. She stops thrashing for a moment to look and the adder says, good, now tell me but he gets cut off because they are now surrounded by an explosion of night. Feyre is thrown out of the adder's grasp into the snow and the adder appears to be encircled by darkness. And as Feyre gets up from the snow with her knife in hand, she realizes Reese is already there, binding the adder in twisting bands of night that she recognizes from the memory of him doing the same to Eanthe's hand. In this case, I'll call in Asriel, but later I'll just kill you. Um, yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. So Azrael and the adder disappear, and Feyre catches the adder screaming right before they're gone. <laughs> and she says, I-, I didn't want to think about where they'd go, what Azrael would do, which is fair. <laughs> you blame her? So Feyre is rightfully, like, reeling right now. And asks Reese if Az will kill the adder. And Reese, <laughs> oh, Reese, I give you credit for your honesty, but you had to know that this was going to go downhill real quick. He says, No, we'll use him to send a message to Highburn that if they want to hunt the members of my court, they'll have to do better than that. <laughs> and Pharaoh realizes. That Reese knew. Mm-hmm. You knew. You knew he was hunting me. And Reese says, uh, and this is where I'm like, choose your words wisely, man. He says, he <laughs> I was curious who wanted to snatch you the first moment you were alone. 
And there it is, friends. Yes, friends. Yes, he knew. And yes, she was basically bait. So here's the thing, that he's done this to her before and she flat out told him never again, yes? Yeah, she didn't use him, well, in fairness, she wasn't used as bait before. <laughs> she was just told she wanted to be, she just told him he want, she wanted to be in on the hijinks. In fairness, I don't know if you're good bait if you know you're bait. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah, no, I'm with you. This is a bad choice. Uh, and Feyre is pissed. <laughs> effed up. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. I read that and I was like, Ooh. Yeah, it was a bad choice. It was a really, it was a really bad, stupid choice. And uh, I will admit, though, <laughs> I have to wonder, because he said, like, I wanted to see, like, who would try to snatch you the first moment you were alone. I do have to wonder if he also, though, sort of means, like, the spring court. Yeah. You know, I in which case. Yeah, I, I thought that actually the first time. The very first time I read it, I was like, oh, he was thinking Tamla might do it, not. Right. In which case, that might be kind of why he didn't say anything. Because it's possible yeah. the other thing he was hoping was that eventually she'd be like, I lit the fucking candle. And he'd be like, oh, nobody kidnapped her. That's cool. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I don't know if he thought there was anything, gonna be anything to tell. True. I mean, you know. Necessarily. <laughs> I, I have to agree, though. I mean, like I said, when I first read it the very first time, I thought, seriously, I was like, hmm, I wonder if he means the spring court. He must mean the spring court. Yeah. Yeah. In which case, maybe even if she was like, quote unquote, bait for the spring court, he, if she wanted to go back, he wouldn't have stopped her. Exactly. So what would there be to tell her? Right. So yeah, it might just be that this was a, like what he thought he was doing <laughs> turned into this other fuckery, in which case it goes back to what I said, which is choose your words wisely, and he didn't choose his words wisely. <laughs> so anyway, she's pissed, and she's screaming at him, you should have told me, and then he has the stupidest fucking response. He says, maybe next time, and so now she's raging. <laughs> And she's like, there will be no next time. And she goes to shove him and he rocks backwards because she's forgotten how strong she is and that her shoving him would actually do something. <laughs> Oopsie. And he reads her mind. And I mean, I mean, if you're going to go full asshole, you might as well go full asshole. Yeah. Like if he's going to go full asshole, he might as well read her mind. And so yeah. he reads her mind and while she's thinking about how she's like, oh shit, I guess I forgot that I'm pretty strong now. And he says, yes, you did. You forgot that strength and that you can burn and become darkness and grow claws. You forgot you stopped fighting. I'm like, honestly, he sounds a little mad right now. <laughs> I think, honestly, I think they're both kind of pissed. Right. For different reasons, but they're both pissed. Exactly. And Feyre is picking up on this. He's calling her out for being so weak around Tamlin and his crew. And now she's mad too, but for different reasons than before, because now she's mad at Reese, like sure, for setting her up as bait. But she's also just like mad as a wet cat at this point about everything that like Tam, like everything, like what Tam did to her, what had been done to both she and Reese under the mountain. Just, she's just on fire about everything that's like ever happened. <laughs> She's never really, really got that anger out anywhere. 
Exactly. So she just like spits. So what if I did? So what if I did? And she goes to shove Reese again. And like, y'all, I don't usually like condone this kind of like anger management issue in real life. But in the book, and they're all magical. And like, he's her safe space. And you know, nobody's gonna get hurt. Because again, they're immortal. I'm kind of here for it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because she needs to get her anger out. So I'm here for it. But uh, anyway, she goes to shove him and he winnows away. It's a fun little, fun little chapter. It, um, it really is a fun section. Although it does, I do have to highlight the fact that like everything we just talked about was only two chapters and that's great. That's fine. But like other things that were like one chapter were like way fucking longer. And I just, I, I truly like no disrespect to like Sarah J Mass because like the writing is great but like either her or like the editor or the publisher like somebody gotta get on this because the fact that there are like two page chapters 12 page chapters and then like 80 page chapters it just does not work for me <laughs> it does make it hard it does they it could, does. It, for all the chapters with the snowflake some of these they really could do sometimes the snowflake thingy is fine and sometimes right. I could do with an actual chapter break Agreed. But anyway, I <laughs> take it away. <laughs> <laughs> and she rushes for him again. It's not easy. And he winnows away again. And this time he's behind her. You have no idea how not easy it is. And he winnows away again and taunts her. Try harder. And she lunges for him with talons this time. And Oops. she misses hitting a tree. <laughs> And now she abandons trying to chase him. The way she explains what she does is like kind of beautiful and you have to read it. But basically she says that she, like everything slows down and she takes it all in and somehow senses exactly where he's about to appear and manages to winnow herself there first. And they appear in that spot together and Reese is like wide-eyed but smiling as she tackles him to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Go girl. <laughs> and that's the end of the chapter Kim please tell us what Farrah Darling does to our poor Reese's Pieces next <laughs> <laughs> poor Reese poor Reese Pooh I don't know I think he's pretty proud of her though <laughs> he's like oh shit but hey <laughs> look at this look at you go exactly. she, he's laughing and she's like don't you ever use me as bait again like kind of no two shakes you know like okay kelsey you're not there yet but for all your moms out there listening you know when you're you're out in public and the kid does something really stupid and you're like you clench your teeth and you're like don't do that again i'm gonna kill like you know that's how i hear it in my head when she's doing this i just She's so angry. She's literally like speaking through clenched teeth. I also think, I don't know if anybody ever talked about like how tall Feyre is supposed to be. I assume not like super tall, like probably like average, you know, maybe a little shorter five, than average. Seven-ish. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So like, I just think it's kind anywhere, of. I'd say anywhere like, from 5'5 five, five to 5'9. Five, so like, let's pretend okay. she's 5'5 five, five for now, just for sake of hilarity. Um, like if she's like 5'5 five, five, and Reese is even just like 6'1. <laughs> Like, that's why it's hilarious that she's, like, on top of him, like, hissing at him, basically, and the fact that she took him down. I mean, I'm sorry, we have to be real. It's kind of, like I said, like, watching a small, wet cat against a large man. (laughs) And the kitty cat won. Exactly. So it's just funny. (laughs) 
I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, apparently her snarling at him through clenched teeth was enough to make him stop laughing. So, you know, points to Farah. And points to Reese for picking up on the fact that, like, maybe this um, was a little more traumatizing to her than he originally thought. Yeah, you know, I mean, his his clue by four was plugged in, so his clue phone his clue phone was connecting, and he he got the message. And I give him a lot of credit for that because let's face it, you and I both know a lot of men that definitely would not have picked up on that. So anyway, I love this one comment. She says so. Following later, she's like, "You said I could be a weapon. Teach me to become one. Don't use me like a pawn. And if being one is part of my work for you, then I'm." Done. Done. I think she's a little upset at him. Just oh, a just wee a bit. bit. Mm-hmm. Just a little squishy bosh. Mm-hmm. He, he agrees. He's like, okay, fair enough. And the talons are gone by the time they get vertical. Again, talons, people. Talons. Yeah, like she was not playing. No, she wasn't. And he's like, well, show me again how you did that. <laughs> and she's like, no. She's like, I want to go back to the chateau. She's done. And he he he's like, I'm sorry. You know. And she's like, mm. she realizes he probably doesn't say that often. And then his whole you forgot starts running through her head. And then she looks at him and she's she's starting to calm down a little. And she's like, Why does the King of Highborn want me? Because he knows I can nullify the cauldron's power with the book. Darkness flickered. The only sign of the temper Resand had once again leashed. That's what I'm going to find out, is his response. And again, the whole, their whole argument is running through her head. And he's like, look, I'm sorry. Let's eat breakfast. We'll go home. And she's like, Valaris isn't my home. And that kind of hurts Reese. Yeah, that's like a burn. Because to be fair, like you and I already talked about the fact that it was weird that when she got to her sister's house, she was like, oh, I'm home. Home? Like you barely ever lived here. These people don't like you. I mean, again, we were just glad she wasn't calling Spring Court home. (laughs) So true. So true. But it's like, I hate to break it to her. I don't think you really have a home then. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. But that's literally where the chapter ends. He is, he widows them away back to the chateau. And the chapter ends. Like, done with this whole section. It's kind of crazy. It's like such a fast chapter. In print, the chapter's only a page and a half, people. So, it's not like it's a long chapter. I mean, it's literally, it's literally just an opportunity. Basically, it just breaks up. In fairness, I sort of see what we did here. We have the adder coming in for attack. Then we have post adder like screaming match that turns me into all of the things that I wasn't able to do when I was standing here calmly like having talons and winnowing and then our third part of this is basically just like no but actually I'm really mad and I mean it right and Reese like taking that in so I get it but on the other hand for once those three things could have probably been one chapter with two snowflakes (laughs) yeah I mean it's again we're both we both said so many times you know we have these really long chapters that seem to go on. Oh, they could have ended it here, but they don't. Oh, they could have ended it here, but they don't, you know. And then you have these really three very quick chapters in succession. So I don't get it. I don't understand. I just. But 
they're still really fun because now we have uh, what texting looks like in this universe and we know that Reese and Feyre are flirting and we know that she has her power mojo back and we also know that Reese is really offended that Valaris is in her home. <laughs> yeah. So chapter 27. So she tackled him and they're laying in the snow and but I think part of it I have to say he kind of did bring some of that on himself. Oh, he a hundred percent did. I'm just saying that it's one of those things where it's like we have to remember that sometimes we hold Reese's pieces to higher standards than we held Tamla to in book one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, we we don't hold the tool to the same standards that we hold the pieces. I think for me it's just the fact that like we've said since we basically met Reese, at least when he does stuff, there's like a point to it. Well, yeah. There like, is a point. I don't feel like anything Tamlin does has a fucking point. <laughs> yeah, no. Absolutely like, not. Like we said, like, there are multiple ways that this whole thing could have gone down, like, that Reese had planned. Like, was it a good idea to use her as bait? No. Well, like, was there a point to it? You got the adder, yes. so clearly, you know, and even pissing her off got her to winnow, so clearly there was a point to this. And bring out her talents. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean... Like I said, do I agree? I'm kind of with Amron when she was like, <laughs> brutal, but effective. Brutal. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm totally with you. I'm 100% there. So, that's the end of this. We, we finished this whole section, peoples. So, I think Woo! that means it's time for some songs, Kim. We got songs! We do. We have lots of fun songs. And some of them are kind of um, funny and cheeky, people, because, well, that's the way Kelsey and I roll. It's um, just who we are. It is. Though I will be nice and tell you there are no Broadway songs being used in this section. So, you know, it, oh, for those of you that are those of you that don't like your Broadway tunes, I'm sorry. Anyway, it's only a couple songs. So if you like them, add them to yours. If you have suggestions, please contact us, send them to us, because I'm always up for new suggestions of different songs. Humor us, entertain us. We want to know. Because, you know, everybody thinks a little differently, and that's cool. So, the very first song <laughs> is Brave by Sarah Bareilles. And it's for the end of the last podcast with the whole bit with the prison. And then the beginning of this one at the Weavers. Because, you know, she's got to be kind of brave to do what she's going to be doing. And and I, I'm proud of her for having... The chutzpah, for lack of a better term, uh, to do that. So, uh, Brave by Sarah Bareilles. The next song, now this is kind of my little cheeky fun song. It's Survivor, I Will Survive. Yes, we get some disco music going by the Glee cast because they do a really cool mashup of the two. So, I, I, I got a good giggle when that happened. I had, I, as soon as I thought of it, I told Kelsey and we were both giggling for quite a while. Uh, the next song is um, Fight Song by Rachel Platten, and it's the conversation between Feyre and Moore as Feyre finished getting dressed uh, to go to the human lands, to go to the mortal lands, and, um, you know, Feyre apologizes to Moore for being less than pleasant, and Moore's response is, don't let the hard days win. You know, I still have them, but you can't let them win. And I just, 
you know, I thought that whole little bit where they're talking about, you know, sharing Morgan's story and how you can still be a good person and, and kind of survive it all and survive the bad days. Um, it, it fits. And again, all these songs, for the most part, at least these three really go well together and they, they really kind of tie into a very same similar theme um, in this part of the, the podcast and for these chapters uh, for where the characters are. So I thought it was kind of a nice little bow there. Uh, the next the next song is Home by Philip Phillips because literally, you know, for the first time in a very, very long time, Farah is claiming home somewhere. She is home. She has found her home. And even if it's not really her home, she's recognizing it as home. And and for that, I, I kind of want to acknowledge it. Um because she's found a way to, to claim home. And the last song, last song is Bitch by Meredith Brooks. And it's it's my tribute to Nesta, especially for the dinner, because Nesta is a biatch to everybody. Everybody. Like, dinner almost falls apart because of her. So those are our songs. Enjoy. And this is for Feyre, when she is actually at the Weavers, and she's literally fighting to live to get out of the weaver's house. Um, and I actually do have one TikTok to share. I'm pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, TikTok. Uh, this, this one is from, and I never know how to say people's names, so just look at the show notes. It's at Schleal. <laughs> Can't be right. Schleal. Schleal. Anyway, uh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> The point is, she posted, I don't know if anybody else has seen these, I think they're hilarious. A lot of people feel like New Girl does a really good job of showing, like, how these characters in the inner circle all interact, and there's this great (laughs) clip from um, New Girl with Nick and Jess, and she said, this made me think of the forest slash Weaver's Cottage in Akamath, and it's (laughs) the part where Jess is, like, trying to, like, square up with this coyote in the desert, and you just have to watch it. It's got, like, little labels, like, it's got a label over her head that says Feyre, and a little label over Nick's head that says Reese, and it's just, it's really funny. Like, if you've read this section, then you watch the video, it'll crack you up. It is hysterical. So that one's pretty great. <laughs> but other than that, I think it's just time that we uh, tell these people how to find us, right, Kim? Uh, yeah, yeah, everybody should find us on all the things. We are on all the things, y'all. All the things have two A's, like Sarah J. Mass's name, like our website. Yep, yep that says massivefansbookclub.com, our Facebook at massivefansbookclubadpodcast, Twitter at massivepodcast, Instagram at massivefanpodcast, Pinterest at massivefans. Also, Pinterest has so many fun things. Go check it out. And TikTok. Yes. <laughs> and TikTok, which is, I, I would love to say that we put more content there, but mostly we just use it to find good content. <laughs> but we are there. Check us out yeah. at massivefanpod. <laughs> Yay! And I think that pretty much wraps it up. So, until next week. Absolutely. Okay. Bye! Bye!